if that doesn't stir your heart, you need to wake up. We are in Psalm 84, and since we have already heard a good part of the psalm in song, I'm not going to read it. The AV folks in the back are going to run the PowerPoint. I'm not going to look at the screen. I'm just going to preach. I'm doing this because it's the outline is a little bit complex, uh, but I think you'll get it. To the chief musician upon Gittith, what does that mean? A psalm for Korah. Well, we do know this was clearly a psalm intended for public worship because it was addressed to the chief musician. Gittith literally means wine press. It's kindred to the term neganoth and may refer to a stringed instrument of some kind. The really interesting part of this is the reference to the sons of Korah who were the temple musicians, which is a statement of grace. Because Korah died before the Lord in his rebellion against Moses and against God. But Numbers chapter 26 tells us that his sons did not die. And they were afforded this privilege of serving now, there's a gentleman by the name of Joseph de Beaufort Lawrence, otherwise known as Brother Lawrence, who wrote a book entitled Practicing the Presence of God. That's really what this psalm is about. Sort of sad. Because in truth, most of the time, we know very little about cultivating the presence of God. For far too many of us, our faith is couched in what we know about God, not in knowing Him. The results is hollow worship, shallow Christianity, powerless Christianity, now, I don't know who the author of this psalm actually is. Some have suggested that the sons of Korah actually wrote it uh, rather than it being written for them. I really don't know. But whoever is the author of this psalm, he is calling our attention to a powerful and a genuine worship that flows out of a knowledge and experience of the presence of God. I'm going to submit to you this morning that ought to be a priority. The Christian life is about making informed choices. To choose one thing is to choose against other things. And to make the right kind of choices is to make the right kind of priorities. And to be aware and to the degree possible intentionally Trying to practice the presence of God is vital Christianity. Remember that the Jews of Old Testament times associated the presence of God with a place. It was the place where God chose to put his name, which was Jerusalem in general and the temple in particular. 
Here is where God dwelt among his people in Shekinah glory over the mercy seat, over the Ark of the Covenant. It was here that public worship transpired. It was centrally to this place that the feasts of Jehovah were assembled. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. The word tabernacle literally means to dwell, and this happens to be referenced in plural because of the multiple buildings that were parts of the temple compound. The word amiable means worthy of being loved. I know you've heard this. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Is the presence of God beautiful in your eyes? Is it to be valued above all else? Is it to be sought with diligence? It's interesting that the psalmist here, and he will do it four times in the psalm, references God by the significant term Jehovah Sabaoth, Lord of hosts. It's a picture of Christ leading the hosts of heaven in grand procession to vanquish all of his enemies. And folks, that's a parade worth watching. That's what practicing the presence of God is about. It's about preference. My soul longeth Yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Every time that song comes to that phrase, I, I get goosebumps. There are three descriptive terms that here that talk about the attitude of the true worshiper with totality of being, soul, heart, flesh, intentionally, pursuing the presence of God, longing in the inner man. That's the idea of, of growing pale because of an intensity of feeling. I question, do we long for God? Do we faint? And that word has the idea of being exhausted because of desire. As Western People, we pride ourselves in our reserve and our lack of display of emotion. Eastern people are not that way. They're really demonstrative. And the Jews were really demonstrative. And so when he says here to cry out, it's an expression of the longing of the inner being. It is a desire for the living God. I ask you a question. Is God an abstraction to you? An idea? A thought? Or is he a person with whom you are cultivating a living relationship? The Hebrew phrase El-K or El-Ka uh, is the word that's used here. It's kind of rare 
in scriptures and in the Psalms, but it carries again that idea of a relationship with a living person. When you pray, are you talking to someone? When you walk in this Christian life, are you walking with someone? In verse 3, he kind of takes the mundane and raises it to the level of the sublime. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. What could be more common than a sparrow or a swallow? We pay almost no attention to them. But they like to inhabit places that are inhabited by people and quite often build their nests among us. The temple was large and a prominent building and would have attracted such activity. They're at home. They're comfortable. I know sometimes we labor maybe a little bit too hard to make church really comfortable for people. That's not really where you ought to be comfortable. You ought to be comfortable in the presence of God. You ought to be at home there. There are two altars in the Old Testament temple. Even thine altars. There was the brazen altar in the outer court, the golden altar in the holy place, and neither of these would have been appropriate or available for nesting purposes on the part of the birds. The point is much larger the picture of finding an approach to the presence of God, which is still accomplished as it was then on the basis of a blood sacrifice. We have blessed access to the very throne room of God because of the blood of Christ. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may find mercy and grace to help in time of need. And the question is, do you access that throne room? Is that a place you're familiar with? While not presumptuous, still ought to be a place where we are comfortable because we've been invited in and we've been enfranchised. We have been given that blessed privilege. And again, the attention is drawn to Jehovah Sabaoth. In addition to this, in this designation, my king and my God. As my king, I bow before his sovereignty. As my God, I recognize my absolute dependency. It's hard for us to do in the midst of our busy and shortness of time to get up and spend the appropriate time with God every morning before we begin the day and then to begin that appropriate time with God with a realization of how absolutely dependent we are upon him for everything. 
Verse 4 says, Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will still, they will be still praising thee. This closes the strophe, stanza if you prefer that term. It is a bless it is a blessing to dwell in God's presence. Listen carefully. We're dwellers, not visitors. We don't just drop in every once in a while. No, God invites us to live there in his presence. There's a continuity of communion with God that automatically produces praise. Communion is the mother, Spurgeon said, of adoration. They fail to praise the Lord who wander far from him, but those who dwell in him are always magnifying him, at least in part because of our consciousness of who he is and where we are. Because the closer I get to the presence of God, the better I know him. And the more I know him, the more I praise him. And it's no wonder that this stanza ends with the punctuation, Selah. We ought to meditate on that. Now the second stanza of this psalm picks up an attendant idea. It's progress. You do realize that the Christian life is a journey from becoming a newborn babe in Christ desiring the sincere milk of the word until we are finally at home in his direct presence. We're hopefully making very real, discernible progress. Songwriter said, I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Because you're in Christ, you were not saved for low living. You were saved for an elevated experience. In likelihood, the imagery of these next verses are, is actually compassing the pilgrimage from wherever people were to the city of Jerusalem for the three required feasts of Jehovah. Families often traveled with the dad. And it's interesting to note, if you know anything about the topography of Israel, that in order to go to Jerusalem almost from any direction, you have to climb. You have to go up. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them. Travel then was anything but easy. The journey was often long and tiresome. Those of us who have the vantage point of age are keenly aware as we look back over our Christian journey, we realize it's not always been easy. And I'm here to inform you that it's not always going to be easy for you. It's part of the journey. 
There are no promises that, that it's going to be easy, but there is something that's promised. We sing this as a hymn, but it's actually a poem written by Annie Flint Johnson. God hath not promised, skies always blue, flower-strewn pathways all our lives through. God hath not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But God hath promised strength for the day, rest for the weary, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing kindness, undying love. You know, your personal exertion, even in your Christian life, can only go so far. I'm going to tell you the Christian life lived in the flesh is miserable. You can't do it. And you're constantly frustrated. And frankly, the harder you try, the worse it gets. It doesn't work. It's because it's short of the goal. God doesn't want you to live the Christian life in the energy of the flesh. He wants you to live the Christian life in the power of the Spirit. And that is cultivated in the presence of God. The strength for the journey must come from God. Our strength is in thee. Our ways of necessity must be in the heart of God. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God is the source of our strength. He is also our supply. Now this next verse is a little bit difficult. Who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. Frankly, there is no Bible reference to the valley of Baca. I consulted about 40 or 50 different volumes and no one could tell me where the valley of Baca was. The word seems to mean weeping. It seems to be referring to an arid pathway that leaves the traveler thirsty and spent. But even there, God provides. As surely as God brought water out of the rock in the wilderness, he can make a dry place a well. He can cause the clouds to form and the rain to fall in an opportune time to provide the necessary water for the weary traveler. You'll find in God's presence what you need when you need it. And then he comes back to the theme of strength. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. The psalmist, in using this expression, strength to strength, is carrying the idea of continuous enablement so that the journey will be consummated joyfully in the direct presence of God. We're walking, or should be, in the power of God because we're walking 
in the place where God dwells. The adventure of faith that takes you through the dry places of life will always be rewarded with absolute supply of everything you need and the progressive journey into the ultimate presence of God. I don't know if you ever meditate on a man called Enoch. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. The New Testament tells us he was translated. In my mind's eye, I can see Enoch walking down the road talking to God and suddenly he's walking in heaven talking to God. I know about the rest of you, but that'd be a great way to go to heaven. (laughs) And while we, by the way, may become translated ourselves, if you believe in the imminent return of Christ, I wonder what kind of spiritual condition you're going to be in when that transpires, maybe today. Are you going to be walking with God and enjoying his presence and cultivating that relationship and you're walking with him down here, suddenly you're walking with him up there? Hallelujah. He closes this stanza with a supplication, a prayer. Oh, Lord of hosts, Hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Third time we reference Jehovah Sabaoth, except this time we're adding the name Elohim. To the God of our strength, we render our prayers for timely help in the midst of making spiritual progress, in the midst of the journey. Jacob wrestled with the pre-incarnate Christ at the fort of Jabbok, and he found him enough. Maybe that's the imagery the psalmist was trying to bring us to in this passage. The God who answered Jacob will answer us. It's time for another meditative pause. Selah. Which then takes us to the end of the psalm, the last stanza. I've entitled that Prosperity. It centers on the stunning results of cultivating the presence of God. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 27, Peter asked the Lord Jesus, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have then? Well, that is so pathetically human. What am I going to get out of this? Well, the Lord said, everyone that has forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. May I ask you a question Do you really think God's ever going to be indebted to you? Do you ever really think that he will not ultimately, overly compensate? I've long believed in life and ministry. I'm an overpaid guy. I get paid more than I'm worth. But God does that for me. 
How about you? I am not at loss. I am not impoverished. I am not at disadvantaged in any way by my relationship with God. I am unbelievably enriched. He comes back to a prayer in verse 9. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. Now, since it's impossible to pinpoint the timing of this psalm, it's equally impossible to determine who it is that the psalmist is asking God to bless as the anointed person. Could have been the present or current king. If so, he would have needed the protection and blessing of God, and God's certainly able to do that. We're going to come back to this concept of shield. You live in a world that increasingly in part because of the media and in part because of reality, is becoming a frightening place. Reality is, ultimately, there aren't any safe places left in our world. I'm going to dig a hole and crawl in it and pull the dirt back in on top of me. That's a great existence. That'll be a lot of fun. But listen, in Christ... You're safe, regardless of what happens. And your defense is not your 357 Magnum in your waistband of your trousers. Your defense is God. And what a privilege. When Alyssa was singing, I, I just wanted to stop right there. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. This is more than an extravagant hyperbole. The psalmist is making a comparison based upon faith and experience. A single day consciously in the presence of God is better than a thousand days spent anywhere else doing anything else. Nothing compares to the sublime privilege of walking with the king. He said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. That's another comparison. The language is a little bit obscure. It is possible, frankly, that the psalmist is referring to the privilege of the sons of Korah. Because not only were they the singers, according to 1 Chronicles chapter 9 and verse 19, they were the doorkeepers of the house of God. I'm not sure that's what the psalmist is saying here. The Hebrew simply reads, I have chosen rather to sit at the threshold as a suppliant, a beggar, 
sort of like the lame man who was laid at the gate, beautiful, in the book of Acts, at the gate of the temple. You say, I'm not a beggar. In the presence of the holiness of God, we're all beggars. But he invites beggars, however poor we may be. And better to be a beggar in the presence of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness even for a moment, whatever the advantages might be in the tents of the wicked. The point is, the privilege of God's presence is a choice. You are as close to God as you want to be. We've got this strange notion that God's got his arm up, fending us off, pushing us away. That's absolutely not true. Yes, our sins separate between us and our God. That's why we need to keep short accounts with God and keep things clear in our own conscience, in our own heart. But folks, God invites us into his presence and we may enjoy it if we choose it. Because he is our provision in verse 11, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. And this is something of a commentary of Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The supply is Jehovah Elohim. This is the only passage in the entire Psalter that employs that term. Jehovah Elohim is the source of our heat and our light. He is our... This is about, Matter of fact, this is the only place in the Bible where God is referred to as being the Son. He is our shield. He illuminates, He invigorates, He warms, He protects, He defends the soul that seeks refuge in His presence. Jehovah Elohim freely gives grace and glory. Most of you have had some form of Bible doctrine since you've been here and you've had theology proper and you've looked at the attributes of God and part of the moral attributes of God are grace and glory. What this means is God gives us himself what more could you ask? What more could there be? He holds back nothing for those who walk uprightly. Adam Clark, an old writer from a century or more ago, said, God's bounty can never be exhausted but flows without intermission. Grace for every trial, help from above, unfailing kindness, unfailing love. 
Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 8. He that spared not his son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? If God bankrupted heaven in giving us his son, what is it to God to give us all the rest? With his son, in his son, through his son. So again, our psalmist ends the stanza with praise. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. The psalmist exclaims with delight, I am blessed. When I first came to Chicagoland, about 30 years ago, I ran into people who did a lot of things differently than I do them and spoke a different language than I spoke. But one of the things I began to hear that I kind of liked. We all do this. It, it, it's completely insincere. It's just a nice thing to say. How are you doing? We don't care. We don't really even want an answer, especially if it's negative. But I began to hear people in Chicagoland say, I'm blessed. And we are. Every day. This is called a plural of majesty. O Lord of hosts, God blesses in abundance. And God blesses those who trust him. Who trust him enough to intentionally practice the presence of God. Now, we have a New Testament phrase for that that I have not mentioned yet. Jesus used it. Abide in me. The gospel, the, the first epistle of John talks about abiding in Christ. That's just, that's not something we put on like we put on a winter coat. That's not something we pick up as we walk out the door and put it in our pocket. That's practicing the presence of God. Knowing that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We seek him. We desire him. We long for him. We cry out for him. So, what is your relationship with God? Is it personal? Is it intimate? Is it continuous? It ought to be because it can be. Let's pray. Oh Lord, have mercy upon our cold hearts. Forgive our casual attitudes. Help us, 
not to be so continuously and forever distracted by everybody and everything around us so that we do little more than tip our hats to you a couple of times a day when we pray over our food. Oh Lord, may you be the sum and substance of our being. May we desire you so fully and completely that we will put aside intentionally much of that which distracts us so that we may enjoy your presence. Therefore, your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.